Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Aisha Harris is the author of Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shaped Me. This episode is guest hosted by Julie Chavez, who was the host of Ask a Librarian podcast and is an author of an upcoming Zibby Books title. Aisha is an author, co-host, and critic for NPR's hit podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour, where they talk about all things pop culture. Previously, she worked as a writer and editor at the New York Times and Slate Magazine, covering everything from creations of American Girl dolls to Dolly Parton to the Exonerated Five. She also created and hosted her own film and TV podcast, Represent, which featured interviews with authors like Barry Jenkins and Greta Gerwig. She was born and raised in Connecticut and earned her BA in theater from Northwestern University and an MA in cinema studies from NYU. She currently lives in the Bay Area. 
enjoy her talking about wannabe. Aisha, thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so happy to interview you today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. And I know we've already discussed if people hear things in the background, it's because life is happening and they're painting your building. Are they yes. painting it some <laughs> extreme color, which would really be exciting? I don't think so. I think it's just they're repainting it like the same kind of like beige and grayish color. So not exciting, but it'll it'll pop still. It'll pop more than it was before. So totally. that's good. Yes, refreshing <laughs> the industrial shades. I read uh, a book to the kids the other day about how they have to constantly paint the Golden Gate Bridge because it rusts and yes. wears down. And that had never occurred to me. So these are the important things that I spend my days thinking about. Your building painting, <laughs> the Golden Gate Bridge, just, just what I do. So yeah. I'm so happy you're here today, though, because I want to talk about your upcoming book, which is Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. And I really enjoyed your book. It's a series of essays. And I really, you are a very sharp, thoughtful, talented, targeted writer. I mean, I was reading it and thinking, I want to go back and reread these because they're just so well-written. So congratulations. You've really done a great job. Thank you. Thank you. That it makes makes you so happy that you've enjoyed it. And uh, it, it makes me feel good about having gone through this whole process. It's been very, very, <laughs> very interesting. It's my first book. So okay, always a fun experience. <laughs> you know, I feel like if anyone had told me precisely what it would look like, you know, all the drill downs, because there's writing the book and then, but going through the publication process, it is, it's a thing. There's a lot yeah. happening that you would not you wouldn't know before you get into it. And all these weird pitfalls, I think emotional and otherwise, that you just, that take you by surprise. Did you find that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I started writing this during the pandemic, literally right when the pandemic really started in full earnest, like lockdown and working on the proposal and dealing with all of the emotional and mental things that all of us were dealing with to varying degrees, like while also trying to craft a book was, (laughs) it was, it could be stressful, but I, I'm happy that I was able to come out on the other side of it. And, um, it was very much a learning experience about the whole process of, of, getting a book done and getting it out there. A hundred percent. Would you like to write another one? I mean, you're kind of <laughs> early days. <laughs> I mean, my my editor would be mad if I said no, but I will say I it might be a little while before okay. I write another book. <laughs> you need to let the amnesia set in. Yes. Before yes. <laughs> you want to sign up again. So I, I think that's a very honest answer. Very true. But don't worry, editor, there's hope. She'll be back. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, okay, so I was just saying to you before we started recording that I've been listening to your voice a lot this week because I've been listening to you on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. And yeah. I love listening. I was laughing at the most recent episode about the Barbie movie. And <laughs> when you started off talking about how you are not a fan of IP and yet Barbie was one of your recommendations. So I just, I really enjoy the podcast. How did you start doing that? 
Well, the podcast has existed long before I came there. Uh, it started at NPR with my three hosts, Linda Holmes, Stephen Thompson, and Glenn Weldon, as well as Trey Graham. Trey left the, the show a while ago, and at some point they were looking for a fourth host, and the show is also going daily, and this is all right around the 10th anniversary of the show. So it's been around for a while. Yeah. And I had been a guest host, well, well for those who may not be familiar with the show, we're a sort of chit-chat conversational show where we talk about the latest film, TV, movies, occasionally books, music. And we also will have like certain evergreen episodes as well where we we talk about like favorite TV series finales and things like that. So there's four of us hosts, but then we also have uh, various guest hosts and critics come in to talk with us as well. And I had been one of those before joining NPR and Pop Culture Happy Hour full-time. And um, yeah, this this also happened through the pandemic. <laughs> I got hired. Oh, man, uh, <laughs> a lot happened for you, I tell you. Yeah, yeah. And I had hosted a, a podcast of my own previously um, at my time at Slate Magazine. Uh, it was called Represent, and it was a film and TV podcast. Uh, but it was focused on anything that had to do with, you know, people of color, women, gender, anyone who wasn't a straight white guy. <laughs> yes. uh, we'd invite on the show generally to talk about uh, the pop culture that they were into and that we were digging. And so that was a little bit of my background. And then mm-hmm. I had been at the New York Times and I just wanted to get back into podcasting. It was the perfect opportunity. So I've been at Pop Culture Happy Hour for two and a half, almost three years. And it's been such a joy. I had been a huge fan of the show before. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a dream come true, actually. You're perfectly suited for it. It's you're just so fun to listen to and the interplay between all of you is it's just it's such a great show. So anyone who has not listened to it should put it on their podcast radar stat. Yes. So okay, so then how tell me a little bit about how you decided or or what was the impetus for this book for you? Cuz obviously you've been doing critic work as a critic for many many years and you're definitely immersed in pop culture. So tell me about that part. Yeah, I think a lot of journalists, if they are at it long enough, eventually people come whispering in their ear, you should write a book, you should write a book. And that had happened to me a few times where, you know, agents had come to me and say, like, do you want to write a book? And the timing was never quite right. I didn't have the right Mm -hmm. idea. I didn't know, I didn't have a sense of what I wanted to write about. Um, And then like, Another, this happened same way, an editor, uh, my lovely editor, Daniela Wexler, she reached out to me and was like, you want to write a book? And I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready now. That's <laughs> and so, so I worked with, I, she connected me with an agent, uh, also my uh, lovely agent, uh, Aaliyah Hannah-Habib, and she and I kind of parsed out ideas about what I wanted the book to look like. And I decided, you know, I am, you know, I'm a critic, I write essays and why not just stay in that mood, but create this sort of collection of essays that really tugs on all the things that I nerd out about that I love. And also that feel really deeply personal. And so I had the idea that I wanted to write about how pop culture has you know, influence my life and also look out beyond that and how it connects to all of us, how it influences everyone's lives, whether we know it or not. And what are the pitfalls of that? And then what are the fun things about it? And I feel as though it all kind of came together very nicely and and in a way that I feel as though people who are familiar with my work will get to know me even better Mm -hmm. and know more about, you know, where I'm coming from. And also maybe hopefully 
they will also learn a little bit something about themselves or learn things that they, you know, had never thought of before. So it's been, it's been a fun, interesting journey to like also just discover things about myself and my writing style and also my procrastination style and all those other things, which I'm sure you are familiar with. (laughs) Oh, yes, I can relate. Shockingly. Yes. What is your procrastination (laughs) style? That's what I want to know. Oh man. Like I, at one point I had to get an app. I tried to use an app that like blocked off certain websites. So like while I'm writing, so Twitter, you know, my Gmail account, my email. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And then like when I know it's really bad is when I start cleaning. Oh, cause I'm not, (laughs) I, I, I'll never just say like, Oh, I, I want to clean right now. I mean, I'm not that type of person. I'm a, I'm a messy person. And so once I start thinking, oh man, maybe I'll just like do some laundry or I really need to clean up this clutter next to my bed. That's when you know that I'm deep, deep, deep. Things are <laughs> Procrastination. bad. Things are bad yes, at that yes. point. Oh, that's amazing. Good for you with the self-awareness as you're like scrubbing the grout with a, to- a toothbrush. You're like, mm, I'm never going to get done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I love hearing people's procrastination style because it's, I mean, is there anything more human right? I, it's, no, I just, we've all been there. Oh, I love avoidance. I'm getting so much better at it too. As I get older, it's amazing. (laughs) I can let things go for a really long time. Yeah. So (laughs) I took down every single essay I read, you know, you said it, you were hoping that people would learn more about you and then maybe also have time to examine themselves. That's exactly what this book achieves. In my opinion, I think you really nailed it. It's so it's so well written. It's and you did such a good job in the crafting of the essays that you leave space at just the right moments for the reader, I think, to have a moment to think about their own experience or their own life. And you really weave it well with your personal narratives. And I love that you started off with the story of your name and talking about Stevie Wonder because I really I loved that idea of these stories that we believe or that we carry into adulthood that we're sure it was the way it happened and then it turns out it was not. But you just Mm. did such a good job of crafting that all together. Did you write these in the order that they appear or did you write them in a different order? Yeah. So that was actually, yeah, that was the very first essay that I tackled. And it was actually the one that I used as my proposal for like sending to my editor to say like, Hey, this is, this is what I have in mind for what the book will be. Got it. And it it felt like the natural starting point because that was, my name is the one that I was born with. It was one of the earliest form, like things that formed how I see the world and how people have interacted with me. Oftentimes that's the first thing they see of me is my name in whatever context we're at. And so, yeah, that one was the first. And then all the other essays were more or less like kind of all over the place because my my brain also does not, (laughs) not only am I a procrastinator, but also just my brain is always firing in so many different directions. And there were some essays that actually like became one that were kind of two at one point and then melded into one because they weren't working separately. So yeah, for the most part though, they were kind of all written, not out of order. And, but the themes were sort of the, the trick was actually trying to figure out like how do we sort these different stories that some of them have like actually connecting themes and moving into them. And I think we found like I wanted to make sure that 
it deals with all these different subjects, race, gender. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't so heavily front-loaded with race at the front or like heavily front-loaded with things that are dealing with similar issues in the back. Like I wanted to have a mix so that readers could kind of uh, have a, a reprieve every, you know, every other essay and 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 go in a different direction, but feel, still feel like they're reading something cohesive and singular in a way. You did a really good job. It's not easy to do that. I think making... I tried to write my book as essays and it was a failure. So, I mean, Aww. hats off to you. I mean, don't worry, it, it worked out fine. There's a happy ending there, but like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's one of those where you don't sometimes appreciate how challenging when I used to think of a book of essays, you think, great, you just write them all, hammer them together, and then you're good to go. Right. But there's so much subtlety in how they go together and exactly to what you're saying, where it's just okay, you have to make sure that the rhythm of it feels good and that it does feel like everything belongs together as opposed to, ooh, something shiny, and then you start writing about something else. So I think yeah. it, yeah, <laughs> it's it was really a joy to read. Okay, so I want to talk through just a few of the things that stood out to me. Number one, I think people will love this book because it has so many pop culture references, obviously. But like, you have so many deep ones. When you talked about playing Carmen Sandiego, I loved that game. Yes. I loved it. So I loved the show. <laughs> I still have that jingle in my head. If somebody oh, said, where in not? the world, if they say that phrase, that's it. That's the whole day. Carmen San Diego. And San the whole, Diego. <laughs> the, ba- the acapella group, I can't. I mean, that was just, so things like that that I love. But also what's hilarious is about that is when I got to the nostalgia portion, I was like, yeah, I do really pull those things forward, don't I? <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> well, we, we, we all do, right? Like yes. that's, that's why it works so well, uh, oh. is that like even those of us like myself, who, as you've already mentioned, I have a thing against IP, generally speaking, I still find the tug, the pull sometimes irresistible to, yes. you know, you know, to deal with. So to go down. Yeah. Oh, good. That makes me feel better. I'm not a total, <laughs> total failure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
after. Okay, so that was a really interesting thing I noticed. But I really like also where you started with talking, you know, one of the themes you tackle early on in the essays is about Black artistry and where it thrives. And I wanted to ask you that because you pose it as somewhat of a rhetorical question in, in that essay, but under what circumstances can and does Black artistry truly thrive? What would you say is your answer for that? That's such a great question. And I think it thrives in a place where the artist feels free to be as weird as they want or as out of the box as they want and also has the platform to be able to do that. And so what I'm getting at in that essay is this idea that in many ways we are in this sort of peak era of Black art, in part because there are so many Black creators now who have far more power than they they have in previous decades. There, Shonda Rhimes, you have Beyonce, you have Donald Glover, you have Barry Jenkins, Jordan Peele, like the list can go on and on. And these are creators who are able to make the work that they have and also have the support system to do that. Mm-hmm. This isn't to say that Black art has, hasn't thrived in the past. Of course it has. But it's often in like in spite of all of the things, mm. all of the many barriers and, you know, hurdles that they have to to go through. And now there is a moment where we are seeing um, the ability to create these things on a large scale and with the support and the attention that they, they deserve. Um, and so I think that that is how art is thriving right now. I mean, it's not all sunshine, yeah. you know, a, a lot of shows, especially in this era of streaming giants kind of cutting all of their shows and all of their content. I hate to say content, like, but like all of their programming. Yeah. And the first to go is often those that are created by queer creators, people of color, women. So like, it's not perfect, but mm-hmm. I do think we've made a lot of headway. And what I wanted to say in the essay and what I wanted to convey was that like, because of that, we should also, as consumers and as critics, really adjust how we uh, judge that art and how we critique that art. And that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't always have to be just about, is this quote unquote negative representation or positive representation? It can be more about like, how does this make you feel? What, What is it trying to say? Are there good things or the bad things? I just think we should have more nuance and be, I think, less knee-jerky in how we respond to a lot of uh, Black art today. So that that was kind of what I was hoping to, to convey within that essay. Yeah. Well, I think you did. So when you say knee-jerk response, is that in reference to, like you're saying, whether it's negative or positive in terms of the portrayal and just that oversimplification of it? Right. That's part of it. Because I, as a Black critic, there are times where, and I explain this in the essay a bit, there are times when I am critiquing a piece of art that was created or involves Black people that I don't think is good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I will have other Black people in responding to my critique saying, oh, well, how how can you, if you critique them, then they're not going to make more of these things. This is bad. You're like, how can you, you're selling us out. Like, you got to support Black art. The great quote by Issa Rae, I'm rooting for everybody Black, is a great quote. I love it. But also, like, I don't have to take that literally. (laughs) Because not all art created by any demographic is going to be 
A, good, just on an aesthetic level, and yep. B, actually helpful or contributing in a like quote unquote positive way to their communities or their the demographics that they represent. And so that's kind of what I was trying to explain is that because we are in this peak era, we can be, we can afford to be more critical than we used to be able to. Back in the day when it was black exploitation films, when Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte were like the only mainstream uh, like Hollywood actors who were getting consistent work and starring roles, I can understand why people would have been a little bit more protective mm. of whatever art they were making. But I, I, you know, I say Black art isn't fragile and to not, to treat it with kids' gloves is to actually devalue it. And mm. I think regardless of whether you like it or not, it should be critiqued and held up to the same standards as we hold up all other art that's not created by Black artists. So that's really what I what I mean and what I'm trying to get at in that yeah. essay. So by engaging with it in an, a more elegant, nuanced, sort of detailed way, then there's more potential to elevate it in in this space because that's afforded now when it wasn't before. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And to me, that's part of progress. That is, progress means not just more of it or better content. It's also just having that freedom again to, you know, say what we like and don't like without fear of <laughs> retribution. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, it's such a tricky place. I know I only, or I mostly see it in obviously the book space, but the host of The Stacks, Tracy, I got to interview her a while back and she was talking about how Tracy Thomas, she was talking about how reviews are for readers, not for writers. And so it's kind of this, mm. you know, if you're not able to give a true critical review of something, then is it worth it to do that if that's your job, if that's the position that you're in? You know, it's sort of yeah, making yeah. space for for more honest, because it's true, if we're all just sort of high-fiving each other all the time about what we've written, then nobody knows kind of, there's no guiding principle there for how people choose what to read. So yeah, yeah, in exactly. it, I mean, yeah, that's, I really enjoyed. And like I said, you do a good job in those essays of just, I, I really will read them again because they were so detailed. You have so many examples, so many good things to kind of sit and think on. So I think this is a book people will want to own. I mean, I think it's, plus it's, I love the cover design. Oh, thank you. The yeah, it's giving, giving 90s, 90s vibes, you know. It totally <laughs> is. It really, I mean, between that and like talking about the Spice Girls and all the stuff you have in there, I mean, it's just, it's a winner. <laughs> it can go right next to the 90s book with the clear phone on the cover, which was also like, yep, uh, I need that too. <laughs> Add <yes>. to cart. <laughs> yeah. So another thing that you really, the thing that you talked about that I liked is this sort of pathological obsession that we have in fandom now that's mm. part <laughs> of things being on social media and you were talking about Taylor Swift and I just was so interested in that. What is the thing that you are, like, what are you a fan of personally? Oh man, that's a, that's a very hard question. I'm a fan of so many things. I guess if I had to say what I'm what I'm closest to being a stan of, if yes, that's, yes, if that's helpful. That's, yes. Like, look, I, again, this is part of the essay. I don't believe in worshiping any, anything, any art, 100%. but I mean, I, 
I think the thing that I come closest to just being a, a stan of, <laughs> this is going to sound really... <laughs> So I'm a huge Turner Classic Movies fan. It's like, I love old movies. That is my thing. And it's been a lifelong, you know, relationship. I started watching it when I was like around 12 years old. My, you know, it was constantly on. I, in the, in the background, I would tape back when VHS was a thing. I would literally, I had my now playing their like TCM guide that they have every month. I had that and I would check, I would look at the the schedule and then I'd be like, oh, I want to record these movies. And then I'd record them while I was at school on the VHS and then go home and watch them. Um, And woe to the person who tried to tape over it. Oh yeah. Well, my mom and I had to like, luckily we had more, more TVs in the house because I taped my movies downstairs and she taped her soap operas upstairs. Oh, so thank it worked. God. Okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. We had that, that, we had that system worked out, but yeah, I just love what they, they do. I love that they've diversified in the last, you know, few years with their hosts. I was at the festival this year. It was my second time at the festival. It was a blast. And I also just love how nerdy everyone is at that festival. Oh. Like, it's, yes. it's old movies, you know, people clap as soon as they see, like, as the credits are rolling and they oh see like, you know, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart's name pop up on the screen. So it's very nerdy. So yeah, I, I think I'm just like a huge fan of classic movies and TCM, especially and what they've done and tried to do in terms of like getting the word out and passing on classic fandom, classic movie fandom onto younger generations. And I guess the other one that I just like I, I'm closest to standing is Janet Jackson. Like I will, I will run into a fire for her. I know I won't, but like, <laughs> but you would think about it. You'd think twice. I would think about it. Yeah, I, yeah, I love her. I love her. I've seen her twice. I'm seeing her again this summer. She's just, she's just amazing. So, she's amazing. Yeah. So what <laughs> is the line? Like, because I'm hearing you, t- because I love, I love hearing what people are into, just like you're talking about that. I think it's so, I think there's something so refreshing about people being on board. And when you get to be with those other people, like at a concert or a conference, it just is, there's this camaraderie that is really cool. But what's the line where it becomes not good in your mind? Like what would be, I mean, obviously we know stalking bad, but in terms of yes. like, what, where, where's that tipping point? Cause you write a lot about it and I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. So I really wish that the the TV show, Donald Glover's show Swarm had come out before I finished writing this book, because it's actually like such a, it's, it's about Beyonce, ostensibly it's Beyonce stand up, but stand up in general. And it's about okay. a serial killer who kills partially in the name of their pop star who is based off of Beyonce. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> that's, that's one line, like killing people. <laughs> love it. Okay, <laughs> because good. they, because they don't love your, your favorite pop star. That's maybe bad. Um, <laughs> Hold on. I let me jot that, this down. <laughs> Okay, yes, yes, it. taking notes. <laughs> I think the other line is when you start arguing with strangers on the internet about your your favorite artist, mm. I, I don't quite understand it. <laughs> it feels like a futile exercise and often it turns into harassing and stalking. There are certain artists who will shall remain nameless, but their fans are especially terrible and they also tend to literally sick their fans on the people who might say even the smallest 
you know, most harmless critique of their, their God yep. or yep. goddess. Yes. So I think, I think that is, that's where I start to get, like, I I'm all for, you know, people who have Tumblr fan pages who have, I follow so many, uh, celebrity fan pages. Like they're all dead celebrities, really. Like I, I followed Elizabeth Taylor page. I follow, uh, a Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Dandridge page, like on Instagram. That's what I, I'm into that. I, yeah. I appreciate those like weird digital shrines to people who like didn't even live to see Instagram be a thing. But I, and, and Tumblr is fun. And I, I love that like people can be so creative with those sorts of things. And I think like creative fandom is always fanfic, like very cool. But totally. I do think once it gets to being mean to other people on the internet, to harassing people, to jumping in those celebrities' DMs, like that's where it gets icky. And then of course there's like the the other aspect of it where, where it's like fans are demanding their creators do this or that, or like, you know, with the whole Ghostbusters debacle when they had an all-female cast for that, and then they wound up harassing the stars of that, including Leslie Jones, like, and like trying to tank their Rotten Tomato scores. Like, that's just like, it's demonic. Like, it's, it's just beyond my comprehension. And I think we've really, a lot of people have lost the plot. They've lost the thread. (laughs) It's like, come back. It's okay. Like, can we live in the real world? Yes. Yeah, that's, it's scary. It is. It's so, it's, we live in such a weird time with that because there is this potential for removal of consequence or we feel that way because of the internet, right? So people are just, Mm -hmm. feel very able to just spew their crazy. And it's, I, I need you to keep it, keep it a little more tight, right? Just put it back inside. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe try and let it dissipate. What is your, um, what are you most excited about, um, about sharing this book? I'm excited about people really engaging with it and hearing how it's like something reminds them of themselves. I've already had people talk to me about like the, the first essay about my name and Mm -hmm. how, uh, it's 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 such a similar experience, regardless of whether like they don't even have to have my name. They like obviously there are plenty of people, especially people of color, who might have quote unquote unique names, at least unique in American white American standards, yeah, and have had similar experiences of just like people mispronouncing it, like very badly and not even asking how you pronounce it, you know, just like making fun of it, like all these things. So I'm really looking forward to people just getting a chance to hopefully, again, see themselves in it and share that with me, like whatever they are, like whatever they took away from it, I hope enlightening and maybe inspiring. Yeah. One quick note before we go, I wanted to say, I really like the procreation expectation essay. (laughs) It was so well-written, but also I think so important. There's so many people that are, it's the choice not to have a child, to have a child, to, you know, enter into that space. It just is under discussed, I think. And you bring a really important voice to it. And I really liked just the way that you crafted that one. I thought it was great. So I'm excited for people to read that too. 
Thank you. And uh, that's great to hear from someone who's a mom because <laughs> I was a little worried about how moms might take it, especially the moms that I know personally. I'm like, hmm, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how they're going to feel about this. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but look, I, I don't, I don't dislike moms. Uh, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was just important to sort of look at it, especially from the perspective of how pop culture really tends to talk about motherhood or even parenthood just generally, not even just motherhood, but being a parent. So yeah, (laughs) it's so valuable because our pop culture conversations, even around motherhood, you know, once it's established, those are inadequate as well. So I think you're calling up, you know, what we can think critically about. So that's the best part of this book. It'll just make you think and make you laugh. And I think people are going to love it. So thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having, you know, writers like me having a space for us to talk about what we've written. So this is really great. Thank you. What a pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.